Well, hello and welcome to episode number 402 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. Ever closer to 500, I will know. Uh, in this week's show, one low-cost airline gets its sizes all wrong, Delta gets classy in first class, and one passenger gets to sit on the flight deck in flight. In the military, we have a couple of emergency landings in the U.S. Air Force, and we watch an RAF Chinook deliver a large radar on top of Gibraltar. And we think the Su-57 may have been deployed on its first combat deployment in the Ukraine. So joining me across the village here in Suffolk, uh, in the studio where everything is working absolutely fabulously... (laughs) Matt Smith. Oh, how I wish that was true, my friend. I wish that was true. We're having a few, got a few gremlins in the works. I think it's uh, safe to say things have not gone according to plan today, which is why we're a little bit late. And I know Nev doesn't like us when we're late, do you, Nev? Shouldn't, shouldn't that have been last week's show where you, like we had all the... Yeah, you'd tech. think, wouldn't you? You'd absolutely think that is what would happen. But no, not today, apparently. <laughs> Never mind and day. joining us this week, as always, across the fields... And the glens and the rivers and the lakes of the UK, across in Buckinghamshire, where it's always sunny, it's Neville Bounds. It's raining now, unfortunately. But, oh, okay. Uh, it was a bit of sun earlier today, but uh, no, great to be back on the show. Um, hard to believe it was two weeks ago, nearly, since the 400th. Um, but uh, yeah, um, lots of news uh, to talk about tonight, as always. Looking forward to it. Yes, it's always that thing when the rain comes, isn't there? That lovely, glorious, shiny banana of yours gets... Um, oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, as per usual, by the way, I sh- I, you know how I like to do a live on-air audio check. As per usual, producer John was completely right. Uh, it was down that you were supposed to go, Carlos, and not up. Uh, <laughs> in, oh. the, in volume. Sorry. Oh, OK. I'll, 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 <laughs> Still. I'll, I'll, I'll move it down a tad. Down. Thank you very much, yes. That's OK. You know, it's nothing like, you know, minor adjustments live on-air, eh? There we go. Yeah. <laughs> and... And also joining us from across the pond this evening, it's our amazing fourth member of the team, is, of course, the legend that is Armando. Hey, guys. As you can see, I'm back here in my home studio, finally. Um, I, You know, like Nev said, I can't believe it's already been a couple weeks since the 400th. I feel like I'm still recovering from the 400th. <laughs> Mentally, physically, emotionally, you know, everything. <laughs> Oh, welcome. Any flying uh, this week, Armando, or have you been uh, ground-based? Not a lick. Nope. I've been. Uh, I've had my wings clipped. I <laughs> haven't flown a single airplane. I, nothing. I don't. I have no idea why. Well, our our primary charter airplane is up in maintenance for its annual, so that one's down. But then none of my other contract folks have been calling me up at all. Oh, well, hopefully you'll be busy next week with loads of stories to tell us next Friday. Let's hope. Yeah. And uh, we're going to say a big hello to everyone who's joined us in the show this week on the YouTube channel. Uh, going to quick run through the names in the chat room. We have got this week Richard Adams. Hello to you, Richard. Miles High. Mazus is also in the chat room. Uh, it was great to meet Mazus uh, at the 400th. Uh, we have got uh, Armando's in the chat room. That's always good to see. Uh, Nick Codling, hello to you, Nick. Hope you're well. Neil Lamwan, hello to you. Masha, hello to you, Masha. Hope you're uh, keeping well. Uh, Rick Bell, always good to see uh, Rick Bell in the chat room. Good to have you on board with us this week, Rick. Hopefully you can stay for the whole show. Uh, GB's Model Zone, hello to you. Shuttlepod 1, 
also joining us this week in the chat room. Richard Adams, hope you're well. And uh, yeah, and our main man, Uncle Micah, is also in the chat room this evening as well. So thanks to everyone for joining us this evening. And don't forget, if you are listening to the show as an audio podcast, which is what I tend to do during the week to many other aviation podcasts, uh, don't forget to check us out on YouTube and uh, find us on YouTube. Check for Plain Talking UK on YouTube. Check our page out, hit the subscribe button and that bell icon to be notified when we're live and recording new episodes like we are right now. Because we'd love to have you in our glorious chat room along with the rest of the family. So, without further ado then, guys, I guess it's time to do some commercial news stories. So, if all the team's ready. Indeed, indeed. Let's go. Kicking off this week's first news story. This one comes to us from UKAviation.news and also from LinkedIn.com. And it's an airline that we've talked about for years on the show, but they're back. So Flyby 2.0, the headline states here, uh, cabin crew recruitment ahead of possible May launch. So Flyby has always targeted an early 2022 launch, but the closing date for job applications make it unlikely to be before the end of April, making May the most likely launch date. According to the job advertisements, Flyby is offering permanent cabin crew contracts to people who love aviation and are passionate about exceeding customer expectations. The airline is looking to uh, for experienced crew, though, uh, though not trainees, stating that applicants should have a current cabin crew attestation. Uh, Blimey, say that after a pint or two. Uh, no salary is mentioned in the advert, but is it ever? Hey, let's be honest here. It says that applications will close on the 31st of March or earlier enough if enough applications are received. Flyby 2.0 will be based around the Bombardier. Dash 8 turboprop, which is well suited for regional flying, and that will be the staple of the airline. Uh, the application link will be in the show notes for tonight's show. So if you're thinking of applying, if you're listening to the show, you can check our show notes out and the link will be in there. Uh, the airline is also hiring safety analysts, crew planning specialists, and various other roles in maintenance. And uh, just looking at the, cab- the application form here. And that the cabin manager job actually requires a minimum of 12 months flying experience working as cabin crew. What do you think, guys? Flyby back in the skies again after uh, a break. Brilliant. Now, something that was interesting, and I always learn something on this show every week. On the 400th show, I learned from Neil Cluffley at Faraday, because he mentioned it, how expensive turboprop maintenance is. And I had no idea whatsoever. Um, and it's one of those things we always kind of think about, but you just always think about the, the fuel costs and, the, you know, the fuel burn of these aircraft. But I had no idea that uh, turboprop maintenance was so high. So notwithstanding any of that, I hope, I really do hope that this is a successful uh, relaunch mm. because, uh, boy, do we need some regional flying in the UK at the moment, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely agreed. 
Actually, one of the stipulations on here says that you need to live within 60 minutes driving time of the, your base airport. So it'll be really? See, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they, um, where they set up base, because it doesn't think it says, does it, where their base will I be. I wonder if they will be in Exeter or whether they'll be elsewhere, because they weren't mm. previously based there. Possibly. Who knows? Hey, yeah. Nev, I actually just looked up um, the cost per hour the operating cost per hour, at least in U.S. dollars, for a Q400 is $3,915 per hour. Uh, An ERJ145, similar to what you guys are using, a lot of your regionals are using over there, is $4,120. Wow. So so pound for pound, or as we say, you know, passenger seat mile, it's actually, it is, is, is probably more, you only have to make 200 bucks per flight more to operate a, a short-range regional jet than a Q400 or something like that. Wow, okay. And, of course, you get higher higher altitude, higher speed, um, more comfort. Yeah. <clears throat> crazy. That is absolutely crazy. So, Matt, you've got the next story, and uh, it's a Ryanair story, as we always like to have one in story yeah. number two. And it's all about the gender pay gap. Yes, yes. I think it possibly the the what we could say here is perhaps they didn't quite get it right. Uh, I think that's probably the best way to describe it. Ryanair International Women's Day post slammed as campaigners point out sixty eight percent gender pay gap. Ryanair's social media, but it's from various uh, uh, sources here. Everything from MSN to Twitter uh, to British Airways to corporate EasyJet, all sorts of sources there. Again, details available in the show notes if you want to look into it further. Uh, this is a summary of all that, though, thanks to John Ryanair's social media posts for International Women's Day have been criticised by pay equality activists who point out that on average women at the airline are paid 68% less than men uh, the flight squad on their uh, on their own they're brilliant together they're unstoppable reads Ryanair's International Women's Day tweet with a lineup of 14 women across different roles in the business pictured and named yet as Twitter collective pay gap app points out women at Ryanair earn 31p for every pound that men earn less um, oh, uh, sorry Ryanair earn 31p for every one pound that men earn with a gap of 68.6% when comparing median hourly pay. Using figures from the 2020 to 2021 gender pay gap report by the UK government at Pay Gap App, a Twitter account run by Francesca Lawson and her partner, subtweets brands and companies who post gushing uh, International Women's Day posts with the current disparity between their male and female salaries. According to the same report, female staff at British Airways' median hourly pay gap is 37% lower than men's, 63p for women in every pound for men, while at EasyJet, women's median hourly pay is 17.3% lower than men's, that's 83p to the every pound for a man at TUI. Women's median median hourly pay is 41.7% lower than men's. The deadline for the 2022 gender pay gap report has not yet passed. Companies have until April the 4th to submit this data to the relevant authority. At Pay Gap App's mantra is deeds, not
not words. Stop posting platitudes. Uh, start fixing the problem. Their bio promises employers, if you tweet about International Women's Day, I'll retweet your gender pay gap. Miss Lawson started at Pay Gap App in time for International Women's Day last year. A freelance marketing professional, she had grown increasingly frustrated at the glossy social media campaigns that pop up once a year on the 8th of March, often obscuring glaring gender inequalities issues within the companies that post them. Uh, it's the same... Um, it's the same with Black History Month and Pride. It's all just words. I have always felt slightly uncomfortable about these messages, she told The Independent. Uh, the gulf in gender pay at airlines is usually down to the fact that male pilots far outnumber female pilots and are usually much higher paid than other airline employees. According to Statista, only 4.7% of UK pilots are female. This is typical, says Miss Lawson, with many companies employing mostly men in the highest paid quartile of jobs and more women lower down in the organisation. Um, now, uh, John's done a little bit of research because we can always rely on him to do such amazing things. And uh, he sort of hinted that statistics are great and it's tell a telling sign. But you always need to look into exactly why these statistics say what they do. Uh, this is wonderful work from the team at at pay gap with each of these employers uh, they were given a chance to respond to the gender pay gap report we've included those links as well as links to the source uh, statistics for each airline mentioned there's quite a mm. there's quite a lot of numbers in there but i mean at the end of the day and i, I mean i've said like from the start and i'm sure you all absolutely agree with me i literally don't care who's in the cockpit as long as they're qualified to to do it and it should make absolutely no difference whether you're male or female as to as to what salary you receive i kind of hope that in this day and age that was a sort of a you know sort of written off to the history books but uh it's still present i mean is it just perhaps because the the male pilots have been there longer and are more established and therefore they're getting a higher salary uh because of that who knows but um you know it, it's it's especially but in fact weirdly uh easyjet was the one of the ones with the better um with the better or the smaller gap should i say um, which you wouldn't expect perhaps of a of a low-cost airline but certainly doing a lot better than uh ryanair i think if those numbers are to be believed if you remember right. that was one of the things that yeah. the easyjet focused on in that program they released on tv mm. if you remember that one nev that um mm. easyjet done that program didn't they on this itv or oh, yeah. in, and they focused heavily on their um training for female pilots within the mm. airline yeah. I'm just going to uh, read verbatim the Sex Discrimination Act 1975. Okay. Which was an act of Parliament of the United Kingdom which protected men and women from discrimination on the grounds of sex or marital status. Uh, the act concerned employment, training, education, harassment, uh, provision of goods and services, and the disposal of, of premises. But it also talked about uh, equality for pay as well so this whole subject has been going on for decades and i cannot believe we're even still having mm. that conversation in mm. 2022 
One thing that I don't, I don't know if it's relevant at all, actually, again, as I say, because John always puts loads of extra details in our, sh- on, in our show notes in, in green. And one thing that I was reading here while you were talking about that, uh, 91.7, so this is to do with Ryanair, sorry, 91.7% of females received a bonus compared to 21% of males. I thought that was quite interesting. Well, <laughs> so, I, I mean, John also put in there numbers – Numbers and yes, statistics absolutely. can be yeah, made yeah. to read however you, you want them to read. And and you can make them not skewed, but you can target them to your target audience. Yes, absolutely. I, so I will agree a little bit with everyone here. Um, well, first of all, the caveat from from the show and from us is we, you know, obviously we should have uh, recruiting programs to get the cockpit and the cabin crew and to be honest all of airline operations diversified um, i think we had a similar conversation a couple weeks ago when we were talking about one of the airlines having a recruitment program for minorities and um and women i think that program was and we said well that's great but you but there's still this barrier of of 150,000 pounds to get into the career field and they're not helping with that they're just kind of creating a program saying, hey, look at us, we've created a program. Um, Matt, you had one point, which I think is very valid. I think the composition of the flight deck, which is the highest paid part of the airplane, um, the composition of the flight deck until really the 90s and the early 2000s was generally white male. Yeah. So those those individuals are the ones that are in the higher seniority positions, at least here in the U.S. I can speak to. You. I don't I don't know um, how some of the pay scales work over in Europe, but those are the, those are the individuals that are in that higher pay scale. They're in the you know twelve, twenty, fifteen, maybe thirty year seniority level as a wide body captain because those those are the only people that were generally in those positions, and mm. you know as as we shifted in the 2000s to have these recruiting uh, programs for underrepresented demographics, then those people are still in the lower, um, and I'll include myself in that, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican. I am Hispanic. I am a minority. I am still in the lower paid um, bracket because I just haven't been in it because mm. there just weren't that many Hispanics flying um, in in the seventies and the eighties yeah. and then, and the nineties, even when, when these folks have climbed up the ladder now, you know, yeah, like you're saying, John put a lot of great statistics statistics in here that we can't possibly, you know, we don't have that. We could do a whole show on this, but there it, it's, it's, there's also this, this problem with contract crews and, and payroll employees and full-time employees and, COVID, right? Mm. <laughs> Do you guys remember when we were talking about Brexit and we had to take a drink? Oh, like, those were the days, weren't they? Right. Oh, fond memories. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> COVID, you know, one one of uh, British Airways rebuttals to this to this uh, study was, hey, we had to furlough a bunch of people. Yeah. The people that got furloughed were the people lower on the seniority list. The people lower on the seniority list were the people that been we've been reaching out to over the past couple of years to try to get into aviation operations. Mm. So who was left during the furlough was the higher seniority guys, which were generally yeah. older white men. 
Um, So while the study was conducted, you also had a lot of furloughed, uh, you know, so, uh, wider demographic. So here's, here's an unusual take on this, and I apologise if the, I, I, I mean this in the in the nicest possible way. But uh, part of, part of my my heart is almost thinking actually I don't think there is an issue so much with the airlines not willing to 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 hire uh, female pilots. I, I genuinely feel that those days are are a hundred percent behind us. What I personally feel, I might, and again, I might be wrong. I'd be interested to hear in the audience's ideas about this. Ooh. But perhaps the problem here actually is that for some reason, aviation isn't attractive to that particular demographic, and maybe that's what we need to fix. Is actually make it so that people feel like you know, if you're a girl growing up and you're eight years old, make it feel that you can be a, an airline pilot. If you want to be, you know, there's there's no longer the the barriers there that there used to be, and it's just not something that perhaps your average eight year old girl thinks about wanting to be, and maybe that's what we need to fix rather than, you know, and and the rest, if you like, will will come, you know, in terms of the numbers of, of female pilots that are fly, flying and, and things like that. I mean, maybe that's yeah. where we need to invest our time and our money is actually making the aviation industry something that women find attractive to work in. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you know, despite the abolition of legal and organizational discrimination, uh, you still have career fields. Look at nursing, yeah. predominantly female. Yeah. Right. Look at teaching, predominantly yeah. female. Uh, aviation, predominantly male. Military, predominantly male. male. Yeah. Right. I mean, uh, there are still some stigmas and stereotypes, maybe and I don't stereotypes know. Yeah. and just traditional mm. organizational barriers to recruiting. Um, just everybody that the, the organizational discrimination generally i'm yeah. not saying it doesn't exist is gone those barriers like you're saying, i, have I, been broken I down. feel like that yeah absolutely i'll yeah. tell you what i've got two two beautiful godchildren who me and Gemma are god uh, godparents to both girls and i have to say that I, I i do purposely buy them aviation related presents when i can Oh really? <laughs> oh, no. ah, it's just me. Okay. Um, and I think we'll just fit. Oh, Mars High is saying that's why it's important to to do shows like the Women in Aviation show last year. Uh, don't worry, Miles. There is one in the works yes. actually, which we've been negotiating this week. We haven't been quite able to get it uh, when we wanted to be, mainly because of the the four hundredth being so busy. But uh, yeah, very much uh, something that we're looking forward to sharing with you. Uh, hopefully, uh, sort of end sort of end of April, beginning of May time. I think is is the time target at the moment I, I perhaps uh the last thing i'll say also because we, we need to move on um is i think the long story short anybody who works in aviation uh doesn't get paid anywhere near enough for what they do especially the cabin crew there you go <laughs> that's that's my five pence for the day <laughs> so nev you're up for the next story and uh, we know you love a good old-fashioned uh, lounge at the airport but this is a lounge with a difference well, I was feeling a bit peckish early and I thought, where shall I go for my gourmet food? Shall I go to Belgravia in London, Salford Quays in Manchester, Princess Street, Edinburgh? No, <laughs> let's go to Stansted Airport. I beg your pardon. Did you? Do- yes, I'm sorry. Essex.live. <laughs> Absolute scenes. Live Absolute scenes. <laughs> it says that Stansted Airport <laughs> is to open an inst- Instagrammable cafe 
as part of its huge £12 million makeover in its departure lounge in time for summer. Passengers flying from Stansted this summer will be able to enjoy a range of new bars, restaurants and retail outlets thanks to the major refurbishment. The Essex Airport is even opening a fun and exciting cafe which would make for the perfect pre-holiday Instagram photo whilst waiting for the boarding call. So as we've said, more than £12 million is being invested by the airport and its retail partners as the airport prepares for the expected increase in passengers this summer after two years of disruption from COVID-19. So this is what you're going to get in the refurbished departure lounge. Amongst the upgrades will be a range of new food and beverage outlets uh, that offer a variety of cuisines to suit everyone's budget and taste from uh, Comptor uh, Libane for some Middle Eastern inspired cuisine Mm. with vegan and halal options, Terracotta Italian Kitchen, The Perch, which is a fully hosted premium bar serving Nikkei cuisine, a fusion of South American and Japanese cuisine, Sunnyside Cafe for more than a sandwich and less than a pub lunch. This one includes the fun and exciting interior for the pre-holiday Instagram photos, Cafe Nero and the Bottiger Prosecco Bar. Uh, World Duty Free in the centre of the lounge will will double in size to allow people travelling outside the UK to take advantage of this fantastic duty-free savings on alcohol and tobacco following Brexit. A new Super Dry and two new WH Smith have already been opened as part of the expansion. A major recruitment drive is also underway at the airport as the airport continues its recovery from the pandemic, pandemic and looks ahead to the summer season. I love I love Miles High comment in the chat room. This is twelve million pounds. Are they lining the walls with silk? Well, they are. <laughs> well, quite. Uh, I, thought, I, was, I thought they might have been. I don't want to stereotype anyone from uh, the Essex region, but I was expecting to, you know, kid that down <laughs> in there or, or something. Like that. <laughs> wow, my goodness! Uh, but um, <laughs> but I tell you what, though the uh, the news is, I think this summer the whole aviation industry, as long as we don't have another big moment of COVID or something like that, is going to be absolutely at full stretch. And I think mm. that staffing and yeah. all the rest of it is going to be quite challenging. I think I agree. I absolutely definitely. agree. Yeah. Good. And long Matt continue to be busy. Mm. Armando, you've got uh, the next story, and we're, we're staying with uh, with money and bonuses. <laughs> it's, it's aviation. We're pilots. We love money and bonuses. Um, that being said, this story is from PennLive.com from Pennsylvania. Piedmont Airlines, a wholly owned subsidiary of American Airlines, has announced that it will open a new crew base in May at Harrisburg International Airport in Pennsylvania. According to them, they said that they're excited to add another crew base location for the first Uh, uh, First, for the quality of life that it offers to their pilots and flight attendants who choose to live or commute there. Second, for the value that it adds to the operation of Piedmont Airlines. Uh, Piedmont took on many new challenges during the COVID-19 pandemic drink, uh, including expanded (laughs) routes out of Chicago and our our crews performed flawlessly. So Piedmont Airlines currently operates a fleet out of uh, American Airlines hubs like Charlotte and Philadelphia. Uh, Previously, Piedmont did have a crew base in Harrisburg. Um, Currently, it's just a maintenance base and a customer service team members at the airport and a little bit of a corporate presence offsite in in Middletown, Pennsylvania. Um, But according to Piedmont President and CEO Eric Morgan, they said that this new Harrisburg base will start with just 10 lines of flying 
um, 10 schedule lines and increase as the network warrants. In addition to that, Piedmont plans to hire 400 pilots and 190 flight attendants in 2022. Piedmont plans to hire 60 new crew members in Harrisburg, according to their uh, other spokesperson, Crystal Bird. They'll hire both a mix of pilots and flight attendants, as they said a little bit earlier. So uh, Piedmont employees have the same flight benefits as American Airlines staff members. Pilots hired this year will receive up to $187,000 in bonuses over five years, according to the company. Piedmont flight attendants have reached a tentative agreement on a new contract in January, which includes higher wages, as we just talked about. So Piedmont, like everybody else, is just on a hiring spree um, and opening new crew bases. I think we've seen this week a couple airlines, actually, both in Europe and in the U.S., opening up some new crew bases. So as Nev just pointed out, this summer, it's it's going to be... Pedal to, pedal to the metal for the airlines, and I think uh, they're not going to be able to hire enough people. Yeah. In fact, we've seen other articles saying, uh, actually, we have one a little bit later on, that uh, SkyWest is is having to deal with now coming back from the pandemic is a pilot shortage, and they're having oh, wow. to consolidate some of their routes. But we'll talk about that here in a couple minutes. So now's the, now's the time to go to Piedmont if you want to go it, to Piedmont. As, are you still there, Carlos? Yes, I'm still here. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> Were you not paying attention for a moment there or something? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I have a guest with me in the studio. But, oh, do you? Uh, oh, okay. Yes. Right. All <laughs> uh, no, oh, right. The family show. Family <laughs> show. All uh, no. oh, right. Mm. <laughs> okay. Do carry on. All right. <laughs> Say, cut, the, cut to Nev. Sorry. Cut yeah. to Nev, yeah. <laughs> I don't have that power. <laughs> don't make any noise, otherwise it'll end up on you, whatever it is you're doing. <laughs> okay. Uh, right. So, somebody... Who's next? <laughs> That's, that'll be me. Right, okay. So the Good. next story. Uh, this one comes to us from UK Aviation News and the West Yorkshire Police. Uh, police recruiting fixed-wing pilots for air support roles. Uh, the National Police Air Service, or NPAS has started a recruitment drive for fixed-wing pilots to operate its Balkan Air P-68 aircraft for support air support roles. I wonder if they're based Star Trek-based, Balkan Air. Uh, MPAS provides air support primarily using helicopters for police forces across the UK and recently added four Balkan Air P-68 aircraft to its fleet. Two additional pilots are being recruited to join the team at NPAS Doncaster Base and together with Tactical Flight Officer or TFO will carry out missions ranging from crime detection, missing person searches and vehicle pursuits. Pilots wanting to apply for the role must have a minimum qualification of a UK-issued Part FCL commercial pilot's licence or aeroplanes with RT licence. Candidates must also have or held in the last six years a valid multi-engine piston land class rating or MEP land and a valid single pilot multi-engine instrument rating, including a performance-based national endorsement or IRSP ME class. 
NPAS also lists the following as a requirement, a minimum of one and a half thousand total hours flying time in current multi-engine practice to include 500 hours as pilot in command, or PIC, single pilot aircraft fixed wing, 100 hours flying time, IFR, or 50 hours of night, uh, night flying, which includes uh, 25 hours to be pilot in command. English language proficiency level 6, UK class 1 medical, and the closing date for the applications is on the 27th of March uh, this year, with interviews in April and the planned start of date of July 2022. Uh, Matt will put the link in the show notes, as always, uh, to the application part of yeah, the website. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, Armando, are you going to come over and uh, join up? Jeez, I have uh, plenty of opportunities here <laughs> in the in the states. No, but you know what's funny is as we talk about about airlines hiring and all this you know stuff, these are the kind of jobs now that are opening up because traditionally these were hard to get into. They're uh, working for a police service, working for the government, working for um, let's say the FAA. Had, you know, they have crews, Department of State um, here in the U.S. These are jobs that people get into and then they stay for a long time because of the, the the compensation and the benefits and the stability, right? So if you get on with the with a police force or a government agency, you, you don't have to worry about furloughs. You don't have to worry about the economy. Um, so these jobs were traditionally very hard to come by. So now that the airlines are hiring and the, and the folks that have been flying these Kind of the, the Vulcan Air is, uh, or the P-68 is a, a light twin, piston engine twin. So consider it like a, a modern day um, Britain Norman Islander type things, about the same size, right? Used by some of these um, observation, pla- as an observation platform. But as, as those folks that have been flying that airplane move up to the airlines, now these jobs are starting to come open. I know here in the States, a lot of uh, medical jobs are uh, medevac, medical jobs, air ambulance jobs are coming open similar to this because those folks are moving up to the airlines with, with these you know, $200,000 bonuses. So this is a, um, this is a great uh, requirements for a pilot that you would need to go to the airlines, right? 1500 hours, multi-engine, uh, 500 PIC, first class medical. That's that. That puts you in a prime position to go to the airlines. But this is the kind of job that somebody chooses because they're home every night and it's quality of life and it's uh, stable. So, Absolutely. Indeed. Okay, well, we'll move on to the next story then. Thanks for that, Armando, as always. Uh, story number six, uh, we're, we're sticking with low-cost airlines this time round. And uh, we're going to try something a little clever here. Here we go. Uh, brace yourselves. Uh, modern technology at its finest here. There we go, a little bit of picture-in-picture for you. Uh, This is easy because EasyDirect has been criticised for using incorrect bag sizes in French airports. Uh, EasyJet customers in France have complained that the company has falsely measured their carry-on baggage, forcing them to either pay more to place it in the hold or to leave it behind at the airport. One frequent flyer, Pauline, reported that she had twice flown uh, from Nantes to Nice recently 
and while her luggage was accepted in the cabin on the outbound journey, it was refueled at Nice uh, Airport on the return. This is because of the baggage sizer used at Nice Airport, she told French uh, Consumer Association. A baggage sizer is the box that customers are asked to place their luggage in to ensure it meets the airline's size requirements. An example of one used by EasyJet is shown in the picture uh, just to my left if you're watching the YouTube uh, feed. Uh, EasyJet requires cabin bags to be a maximum of 45 by 36 by 20 centimetres. Pauline told the consumers group that the ones used in Nice Airport have been made smaller using two metal bars at the size side. Uh, she said that uh, when she discovered for the second time that her luggage did not fit in the size uh, despite fitting in Nance, uh, she said uh, the EasyJet staff uh, uh, she asked the EasyJet staff for a tape measure to prove her suitcase was the right size. She said she was told by staff that the airport was not a DIY shop. Pauline ended up leaving her suitcase in Nice and carrying her belongings in a bag. Other passengers on the flight paid an extra €29 Euros to place their bags in the hold. This is not the only incident in France with EasyJet customers in Paris, uh, Orly and Nice airports having complained about the same issue. The customers have complained and are awaiting a response from the company, according to the Consumer um, uh, Association. And apparently I've been saying it completely wrong. Uh, so <laughs> I've just seen the messages come up in the chat room uh, here. It's, 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 uh, it's apparently it's, uh, I'm supposed to be saying, is it Nantes, is it, rather than Nance, as I was saying it? Nantes. Nantes. My apologies. I'm so sorry. It's... <laughs> Anyway, uh, do we think I, I sit now? I, I, I'm going to be terribly, terribly um, cynical here because I actually had a similar problem to this uh, coming back from. Oh, I can't remember which airport I was in because that would be quite important. Um, anyway, I was traveling back on my own and I had a similar problem in the airport. Um, you come back from Ireland, maybe? I might yeah. have been. I can't remember where it was. As I say, and I was traveling back on my own. And uh, yeah, it was fine going out, obviously in the things, but it it, it was fine going back. And it, what's what I find interesting is they're saying like there's some bars and stuff in the side. I, I yeah, do we think there's been some foul play at work here, well, or is it just you know? <laughs> the thing is, if you're going to charge people, and we've all got used to well, I haven't, but those people that use that facility have got used to it, and they're paying whatever they're paying for it don't start mucking about with the size because that <laughs> yeah. is not going to go well. Whatever the rules of the game are, if, if there is disparity between one airport and another uh, in the same country, yeah. for, which is what it is between Nantes and, and Nice, then uh, you've lost. I think the airline has lost there. So they, yeah. they need to get their act together there, whatever the circumstances, uh, or, or at least make some sort of clarification because that that is unhelpful and that's going to rub people up. The wrong one. Absolutely. Am I, am, am I sort of thinking possibly this could perhaps not be an issue directly to do with EasyJet, but perhaps it could be a third party um, handler who is dealing with it, maybe? Yeah, of course, obviously, EasyJet and Ryanair and many airlines don't use their own staff to, no. to do check in and, and ground handling. So Certainly not the smaller airports. Yeah. You know, whoever it might be. Um, but um, yeah, well, don't start mucking about with mm. stuff like that because guess what? That's just going to delay boarding and yeah. uh, pee off your passengers, isn't it? Let's be honest. Um, so ha having now worked out they've got to pay 
for their bags and all the rest of it. That, <laughs> don't start changing the rules of engagement because that's just not going to work, is it? No. Uh, Richard Adams has suggested that uh, size officially does mad matter, apparently. Mm, Miles yeah. High has also suggested a great idea, uh, travel with a tape measure. And uh, actually, Carlos, you do, you usually have a like a, a weighing device, don't you? With oh, you? yeah. Like, I, you... I brought one a few years ago. Oh, yeah. no, it's probably three years ago now. I brought one of those little digitised hand... Yeah scale things to measure you know the mm. way the suitcases and the hand luggage cases and I, t- I take it with me as well because we d- generally tend to bring a few bottles of wine back um <laughs> but they're very handy uh, yeah. and i must admit i have before measured my suitcase to make sure it you know fits with the sizing of the airlines that we're flying mm. with but they always they always tend to it's only a few airlines where the hand luggage sizes have to be quite full-on yeah absolutely yeah. So, Nev, you've got the next next story. And obviously, with it being your story, Nev, I know it's not BA, but we are in first class. Well, we we aim high here on the show, as you know. And this is on thepointsguy.com. It says that uh, Delta Airlines is once again upgrading the onboard experience, this time uh, with a brand new domestic first class seat. For years, the Ford cabin on single aisle planes crisscrossing the country has largely looked the same. Domestic first class is usually outfitted with recliners in a two by two configuration uh, with more space, increased pitched and larger tray tables for those seated in, in, at the pointy end of the plane. Uh, though the rollout suffered from a roughly year-long delay, these new seats are almost ready for the uh, delivery of Delta's first Airbus A321neo, which will be the first jet in the fleet to feature the airline's new first-class seat. Perhaps the biggest innovation with the new first-class product is the amount of privacy. Each seat has wings that jut out from behind the headrest, shielding the seats from one another and offering additional personal space. The cutouts don't just separate you from your neighbour. They're also great at limiting the obstructions in your peripheral vision. It may not be of the full door like you'd find in Delta One suites, but you still get the same sense that you're cocooned uh, in each recliner. Uh, the, uh, in addition to the wings that act as privacy shields, you'll find a divider between each seat that further demarcates your space. Measuring 21 inches wide, the recliners are comfortable and stylish. The seat covers, stitched in Delta's signature checkered pattern, are made from synthetic leather that sits on top of the plush memory foam padding. Uh, the seat product features an articulating bottom. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, as you recline, the seat slides forward, so each seat sports five inches of recline and 37 inches of pitch, which is a, a decent size, I must say. Uh, another interesting feature is that the tray tables aren't level on the ground, but once airborne, the plane tilts upwards, because, as you know, probably mo- uh, most of you know that aircraft tend to fly about three degrees nose high, something like that. Uh, the tray table becomes level. What a good idea. Dedicated areas were added for your phone or small iPad in a nook alongside the seat divider and your laptop in the bin at floor level between each seat. Each recliner uh, sports a 13-inch high-definition touchscreen monitor and also has a universal power outlet and two USB-A ports, one underneath the screen and another next to the outlet. Furthermore, Delta confirmed that the A321neo will be equipped with Viasat, satellite-based Wi-Fi, which will provide gate-to-gate streaming internet access. Sounds nice, doesn't it? It looks really... 
I'm not gonna lie, it looks really nice. They've done a nice job of that, haven't they? Yeah, cracking. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously under, the, as you said, never domestic um, mm. routes they're using these, but they but do what's look a good really idea nice. With the tray tables, though, I you know, know isn't it? I- have it level in flight because so often I'm on a, a BA, you know, A320, and my food is falling off of the plate, um, <laughs> <laughs> usually towards me, uh, because the um, uh, the the aircraft flies at the angle that it does. So I, I mean, part of me is almost like shocked that uh, the, that this hadn't been thought of before. Hmm. I mean, as you say, look. So there, there's an example there. So that that's in flight and and the the level tray, if you see what I mean. Yeah. I mean, it just as I say, it, it doesn't compute, doesn't it? You sort of think, surely somebody. <laughs> well, I can't believe somebody didn't think of this before. Yeah, if, if that makes sense, but uh, yeah, well, well done, Delta. Exciting times. Yeah, I wouldn't mind as an armchair in my front room. Well, quite. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck getting that past Gemma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, Armando, uh, you have got the next story. Uh, moving over to your neck of the woods. Yeah, we alluded to this one a little bit earlier. This is from thepointsky.com. Uh, Sky West is battling its pilot shortage, by, pilot shortage by shifting dozens of nonstop flights into a one-stop uh, trip, I guess. Uh, the nation's largest operator of essential air service routes is making some changes because of the pilot shortage. SkyWest, which is also the the nation's largest regional airline, is changing the service pattern to 18 of the 49 EAS, or Essential Air Service, cities that it currently uh, services. Instead of operating these as nonstops, the affected cities will now be served in a multi-stop itinerary instead of solely with just uh, direct to the hubs. So, for example, SkyWest service to Fort Dodge, Iowa, that route is currently served as a nonstop round trip from United's hub at Chicago O'Hare. But starting next month, it will morph into a multi-stop service that also incorporates SkyWest's EAS route to Mason City. So one daily round trip, United 5015, we'll see uh, SkyWest 50-seat regional jet uh, CRJ200 fly from Chicago to Fort Dodge, then to Mason City, then back to Chicago. Another daily round trip, uh, United 5017 flies the opposite direction from Chicago to Mason City, then to Fort Dodge, and then back to Chicago. That is a 35-minute flight. It's a similar pattern that they're doing in other places. There are some cities such as Clarksburg, West Virginia, that will receive at least one nonstop out-and-back flight a day. And then uh, they're going to turn some of these into... Uh, multi-stop itineraries some of the ones uh, and now these are are going to be pretty small cities so uh, decatur illinois fort leonard wood meridian mississippi clarksburg west virginia johnstown pennsylvania which is actually a essential air service location that i used to fly into in my airline and skywest took over for us it gets rebid every three years a liberal kansas north platte nebraska Uh, Shenandoah Valley, Virginia, Fort Dodge, Iowa, Salina, Kansas, Paducah, Kentucky made it to the list. Um, So what what this is, is Essential Air Service is a Department of Transportation sponsored program where cities that may benefit from from having commercial air service where they otherwise wouldn't have had that. it's it's a subsidized flight by the government. Sometimes those subsidies are um, 
sometimes those subsidies are just the Department of Transportation. Sometimes those are augmented by the cities themselves. So it's just a, a partnership between different governments to get air service into all of those places that I just mentioned are pretty small, pretty small locations. Um, now the airlines, that's guaranteed income, but they also have the ability to take some at-risk um, revenue-generating flights from those cities. So if they say the contract is for um, this many round trips per month, the city, or the airline can add on trips to that if they think that it's going to make them money or they can bring it down to the bare minimum. Now, not in this story is also a, a story that I just saw this morning that SkyWest is asking for uh, forgiveness or to be released from some of those essential air service contracts because they're just not filling airplanes up. Now that $4,000 an hour that we just talked about a couple minutes ago, now they're they're taking all of that at a, at a hide if, if nobody's flying in and out of them. So um, it's an interesting program. We, again, could probably do a whole show on essential air service, but SkyWest is, is trying to address their pilot shortage by trying to consolidate some of these routes. I hope that made sense. But it's, it's an interesting story, and it's an interesting program that we have here in the U.S. that I'm not sure exists over there in Europe. No, very was interesting. It, was it the SkyWest? Um, what, what equipment the SkyWest using, Armando? Uh, CRJs. CRJs. Yeah. Uh, SkyWest is, is, I think, the, the nation's largest regional airline. They actually operate for a couple major airlines, but they've always remained kind of um, – uh, that, well, actually, SkyWest. Oh no, disregard. It was Mesa that just bought a, a freighter, but um, yeah, SkyWest I think operates for a, a couple of the different major airlines here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But they diversify, so they have some revenue, purely revenue uh, routes, and they have some of these essential air service routes, which is kind of you know, like I said, guaranteed income. It'll be like three million over the course of three years, three to four million dollars. So they can kind of count on that money and being able to to fund those those legs hmm. so moving on to the next story and uh, we couldn't miss obviously having a story to do with uh, the current issues in and around the ukraine and russia at the moment and this one is from the uk aviation.news and airguide.info and uk starts impounding russian aircraft So the UK government has passed a new law making it a criminal offence for Russian aircraft or any aircraft chartered by a Russian national to enter UK airspace and has already impounded one executive jet which was being used by a Russian oligarch. The jet was impounded at Farnborough Airport in Hampshire after it arrived in the country last Thursday carrying a Russian oil magnate, Eugene Svidler. Uh, Although the aircraft, which was due to depart uh, today to Dubai, is registered in Luxembourg, investigations are underway as to whether the charter was a one-off or the aircraft is exclusively used by Mr. Schwidler. Uh, The move is part of the latest round of sanctions against Russia following the invasion of the Ukraine. And the Transport Secretary Grant Shapps said the UK is one of the first countries to ban Russian aircraft. And today we are going even further by making it a criminal offence for Russian aircraft to operate in UK airspace. So elsewhere, Boeing suspends, uh, suspends Russian titanium purchases from Russia as Airbus keeps buying. Uh, Boeing said on Monday, the 7th of March, it suspended buying titanium from Russia, 
while its European rival Airbus continues to use supplies from the nation that hosts the world's largest supply of the commodity, uh, VSMPO Avisma. Uh, the U- U.S. playmaker said it had substantial inventory of metal prized uh, in aerospace for its strength relative to its weight and compatibility with the latest generation of carbon fiber long-distance passenger jets. The head of state controlled VSMPO Avisma hit out at Boeing's decision to suspend the contract, which had been renewed for four months ago at the Dubai Air Show, where Boeing pledged to keep the Russian company as its largest titanium supplier. In France, Airbus said it continued to source titanium from Russia and other countries. And in an email statement, it said it was also obtaining titanium directly via its first tier suppliers, all in compliance with sanctions. The European playmaker has also said it relies on Russia for half uh, of its overall titanium needs, while VSMPO Avisma provides a third of Boeing's requirements. Industry sources say that Airbus receives its Russian titanium primarily uh, from VSMPO Avisma with some titanium parts for landing gear supplied by Nizhny Novgorod, based in Hydromash. Yeah. This is the thing is that we've all been talking about maintenance and all the rest of it, but this is actually aircraft construction Mm. um, components. And I didn't really think about this at all when I was listening to the news uh, during this week. So this is going to have a a massive effect, isn't it? I'm just very, very nervous about all of it, if I'm honest with you. Mm -hmm. And I, I won't say any more... Than that, I think, I think the I supply think chain are. issues and all the rest of it are going to be really challenging. Uh, mm. Let alone if we, if we thought semiconductors were proving a bit of a problem in some industries at the moment, uh, that, that's nothing compared to uh, uh, raw materials for aircraft parts. I imagine. Gosh, indeed. Yeah. So, mm, uh, where we go? Armando, you're up next uh, with this next story, and uh, a bit shocking this one. Yeah, sticking with helicopters, actually, thanks to our chat room, breaking news, um, a Royal Canadian Air Force uh, CH-149, another helicopter, was conducting maneuvers in Newfoundland when it also lost power and crashed. In that uh, particular mishap, everybody made it out. Six individuals were on board, and uh, I think two are still in hospital. But um, this is a similar story. This one came from APnews.com. Newport Beach, California, the pilot of a police helicopter said that he desperately tried to keep flying before crashing into the ocean off the Southern California coast last month, uh, unfortunately killing another officer, um, an air and addiction officer, according to investigators. Um, That preliminary report was just released this Wednesday. These two Huntington Beach police officers were responding responding to a report of a group fighting in the neighboring city of Newport Beach on the night of February 19th when the aircraft crashed in a narrow strip of water in Newport Bay, between uh, Lido Isle and Balboa Peninsula. Witnesses said that boaters rushed to pull the the officers out of the helicopter, which landed upside down, as they almost always do. Um, The pilot injured was 44-year-old Nicholas Vela, a 14-year police department veteran, um, died in the crash. His name was not released. So according to the NTSB report, the helicopter was orbiting about 500 feet above the scene, and the pilot had slowed to keep the camera aimed on uh, the objective when the aircraft suddenly yawed aggressively to the right. 
Um, the pilot tried to correct it, correct this and stop the rotation, but instead the helicopter began to make a spinning descent, as we often see in in videos nowadays. Uh, according to the report, Vela, who was the tactical flight officer, radioed to the police. We're having some technical issues right now. We're going down. We're going down. Um, man, if you guys ever listen to those recordings, it's never it's never great uh, to hear those those kinds of cockpit voice recorders or radio transmissions. But uh, according to um, the pilot, the the uh, they tried to go into an auto rotation, um, which is a you know maneuver that helicopters can can do with the energy that's stored in the blades to basically use some of the air that's that's flowing to at least pad the the landing. Um, but in this case, the it was dark. The pilot had no horizon, no accurate external references. He could see the lights of the houses approaching, but it, he said that the impact was imminent, and that that's what he knew. Um, so, according to the pilot from the report, said that that he recalled a sudden splash and saw water and glass coming towards him as the canopy shattered. He felt the rotor blades hitting the water. Then everything stopped, and within a few minutes, he was submerged. Um, now, this pilot used a rescue air bottle to breathe and managed to get out of the helicopter before he was rescued. Of course, the NTSB takes 12 to 18 months usually to come up with a final report, but the preliminary usually gives us an indication of what's going on. Um, the reason I put this this uh, mishap in there is this is something that we practice quite a bit in rotary wing operations. We practiced auto rotations. We practiced um, uh, underwater egress training was mandatory. So we all, especially if you're flying in a coastal region or anywhere over water or in combat, you fly with a, a tiny little oxygen bottle that has a, a regulator similar to one that you would use to scuba dive. And um, almost all helicopter crashes in the water end up with the helicopter upside down because the engine is on top. So it's, you know, it's going to be top heavy and it rotates over. But that's something that we practice um, both in the day and at night is getting out of a helicopter uh, with your heads bottle, your um, helicopter underwater egress um, breathing device. Um, unfortunately, one of the officers lost their, their life on this, but the other one was able to get out. So, um, yeah, I'm glad they're, at least one of them is safe. Hmm. Yeah, it's always very sad, isn't it? That um, that training was part of something. <coughs> excuse me, that I'd done at college. When I was at college, was the the, the the helicopter simulator in the pool where they have the cage and it you know it rotates and dips mm-hmm. underwater. That was part of the um, one of the training courses I'd done back oh. when I was at college years ago. That's interesting. Not yeah. a lot of people get to do that. Yeah, it's not. A very nice experience. I'm not going to lie. I didn't enjoy oh, it's it. Oh, a terrible class. You end yeah. up with so much water up your nose. But um, another reason I put this story in there is it, the moment, man. The the moment that we have mishaps in aviation, you are you are in survival mode. But the amount of of cognitive penguins that that go into where am I going to put this airplane down where it's going to hurt the least amount of people or no one on the ground. I mean, you're in a spinning helicopter out of control at night over Los Angeles, and and this pilot was was looking for a dark place that's you don't know if it's going to be a river, water, or a field to put down this this airplane, and and it's just a it's always in the back of my mind, and it should be yours, Carlos. I think it's taught from the very beginning of of, of pilot training is where what if 
playing the what if game and where am I going to put this airplane? Should, oh, yeah. should I need to get it? One of the first the things you taught when, yeah. you, uh, when you start to learn is when you take off from that field, you know, where are you going to put this down if your engine fails now? And he says now around about 300 feet, 400 yeah, feet. And we saw that that crash a couple months ago now, where the officers pulled the the pilot out of, this, out of the one seventy two that had crashed on oh, the, the railroad tracks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of these cities, especially L.A., New York, you know, big big populated centers. There's nowhere to put. That's why there's so many regulations over London. You can only fly, you know, with multi engine aircraft, um, multi engine helicopters. It has to be a very specific flight. It has to be over the River Thames. Like it just. Uh, it's very, very regulated over there. Um, but these police helicopters, you know, obviously are in the in the middle of the fight. But anyway. So, Nev, uh, you have got the last story. And I want to know how this happened because I want to try this. Yeah, so I'm going to be a bit of a killjoy on this one when we, at the end. Uh, oh. afraid, but, so, so I apologize for that in advance. But uh, it's on the IndiaTimes.com. And it says that a woman got to live everyone's dream after finding out she was the only passenger on her flight. The woman was invited to sit inside the cockpit by the flight attendant. The woman named Aurora Torres was surprised when she discovered that she was the only person booked on the entire flight to Ruros in Norway. The woman posted about her entire experience of cruising through an empty flight on her Instagram handle and mentioned how the Widerow plane is her new favourite airline. In the video, Aurora shares some parts of her plane journey. She captured uh, empty seats surrounding her and sat in front of the plane, uh, sat in the front of the plane with a headset on just behind the two pilots. Uh, she showed how the pilots are navigating the aircraft and what a great view she was getting from the front. She said, I literally got the news while I was boarding and that I was the only passenger. Uh, the flight attendant was so nice to me and we talked for a while. We didn't know each other and uh, the trip lasted 50 minutes and she asked me if I wanted to join the cockpit for the last 30 minutes plus the landing. I had a blast. Now, um, <laughs> I thought we weren't doing that anymore since 9-11 on commercial flights. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. And uh, I'm, well, I'm amazed, frankly, that... I mean, the, the, some airlines might have some exemptions, but uh, Widero is a very well-respected airline, mm -hmm. and um, I don't think you should be having passengers in the jump seat. Unless it's part of the PTUK uh, team. If that's the rules of the game. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised, that's all I can say. Feel free to wade in, Armando, because I'd love to hear what you think about this. Actually, um, our producer, John, just uh, noted Norway is part of IASA. So the rules are pretty black and white on this one. Wow. Okay. Hmm. I mean, so, lucky. Very I mean, lucky. and also, again, I'm I'm going to be a little bit sort of controversial here, maybe by saying this. It's just like if you are going to allow clearly the only passenger to have an experience like this, surely one of the uh, cravats to doing that, given you know the rules since nine eleven, would be please don't film it. <laughs> Please don't tell anyone. Like, do you know? Do you know what I mean? I just, I, I'm, I'm really confused. You know, it's like, I mean, it's wonderful that she's had this. I mean, oh yeah. I mean, even me as a nervous flyer would love that opportunity to sit at the front of the aircraft to 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 experience something like that. That would absolutely be uh, an amazing thing, even for someone like me. 
Um, Mr. Warner's made a very um, good comment actually in the chat room. Matt. Oh, is he? Um, uh, <laughs> well, well, yeah, exactly. He's, yeah. he's making my point. Yeah, absolutely. That it uh, maybe it's an experience that shouldn't have been shared, and I, I mm. absolutely agree with that. It's just like I mean, I, I'm confident that now that this has gone viral, uh, somebody's in a lot of trouble. Yes, I mean, I've been very fortunate in the past. I've probably had six jump seat rides on commercial aircraft on British Airways and British Midlands landing um, on three occasions, but all before 9-11 when uh, you could ask the flight crew if you could have the jump seat. And uh, if the captain agreed, then you could. Um, But uh, the rules of engagement and the game have changed massively. So uh, I don't understand why this has been allowed to happen and worse still, uh, why it's been publicised the way it has. I mean, Miles Hires just said in the chat room they might look look at it as good PR. Yes, but it's illegal. Yeah, I know. That, that's that's the bit, isn't it? I mean, it's, you know, um, and um, somebody's just said in, in the WhatsApp group there, I think it's, uh, sorry, I'm, uh, I don't get names. I see anything. Mark Mark has been in touch to say that rules are rules. I mean, he's absolutely right, isn't he? This, this is the bit that's disturbing. It's an amazing opportunity. And, you know, let's be honest, you'll never get another one again after that. But I agree with Miles. I, I, ha- I did as well. Yeah. Every time I flew before 9-11, I was in the, on the flight deck. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, I mean, me and, me and Nev had a flight deck visit, didn't we, Nev? On yeah, but that was back from on the ground. But that was on the ground, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the big difference here. I mean, mm. I don't know. But, I mean, perhaps I'm wrong and Armando feel free to correct me, but I, I feel somebody's going to be in an awful lot of trouble over this. I, I think it's a slippery slope when you start picking what rules you want to follow and which ones you don't want to follow. Mm. Yeah. Agreed. And you start leaving that up to cruise? Yeah, Mm. indeed. Uh, John is going to do a little bit of digging, actually, just to to see see what it actually says. Bless him, he's going to trawl through the IASA rules. So there we are. That'll be be, uh, uh, sleeping material for him. You'll sleep well over the next couple of days, dear sir. Speculation (laughs) is our jam. Actually, Matt, Matt, have you got the facility to, to, to transfer VHS onto digital? I do, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. I do have a video in the loft, and it's been up there probably about, oh, blimey, oh, probably 30 years. Well, no, more right, okay, well, that probably years. won't work then if it's been up there. That no, long. it's been sealed, it's been sealed in, a, in an airtight case, actually, right, but okay. it's a video of, of a flight deck visit that I had with oh, video okay. and everything with Air 2000 on the 757 years ago. Absolutely. Well, as I say... Whip, if I can find that... Yeah, if you can find that, whip it over and we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, um, we'll digitise it because that, yeah. that's... Uh, we could even share it on the show. There you go. I've got some VHS tapes that Al gave me, but uh, we, we can't show those. Uh, anyway, moving see. on right. okay. uh, to the next part. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next part of the show. I thought it was all uh-huh. going so well. Uh- <laughs> moving on to the next part of the show. It's caption this. It's I, back. I beg your pardon? Caption this just <laughs> okay. for fun because we, we we did have I think we had a few people just comment didn't we Matt that that they were missing the um, caption we did this part yes of the show. absolutely uh, sorry Richard Adams is saying you're going to need an APG uh, length show if you're going to start uh, going into oh, the Arsa rules he's probably got a good point there <laughs> anyway sorry to digress anyway I have a very strange looking photograph in front of me yes so we've got <laughs> caption this it's back this week it's been missing for a little while but it's back this week so on Wednesday I released a picture on our Facebook page if you don't already follow us make sure you follow us on Facebook uh, Plain Talking UK and uh, I released a picture and Nev explain to our audio listeners um, 
what this picture is. Oh, well, it's sort of um, a, a very wide-looking A380, I would say, a, a triple <laughs> A380 in terms of width, I suppose. That would be the best way of describing it, wouldn't it? And uh, obviously, much hilarity to be had with captions, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to know what the fuel burn is on that hmm. particular aircraft. Well, not that bad, because it's only four engines. So <laughs> the power to weight ratio. <laughs> it's only got four tiny engines. So, I you know, ironically, probably not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got plenty of room for fuel. What, what, do, you, what do you reckon, Armando? Um, yeah, I think it, it's a great concept. It's a, a indicative of the recovery from the pandemic, how you can now fit a thousand and forty two people into one airframe. <laughs> my, my question would be, who, who would be the who would be the flight deck crew? Well, the one at the front, surely, the, in the middle, like, pointing, you know... But what about the other two flight decks? Well, well you could have passengers always, in them. They're disabled. They'd always be saying, oh, there you go. You could have passengers filming it from the jump. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, back to the captionist. So, we've had some captions in. We've picked the wittiest ones out of the bunch that have been uh, left on our Facebook page. Uh, so, uh, uh, Nev, do you want to kick us off? I, I haven't got them for some reason, so uh, don't don't include me. Okay, is, is we won't what include I'm you. At. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Well, Dirk comes up with a devastating comment. The most important question is, he says, will there be room for more than one 1A on board? <laughs> Good point. Exactly. Which 1A would you pick next? Well, yes. <laughs> well, worryingly, there'd be two other people that could have it. Oh. <laughs> uh, we would all just be staring at each other in the boarding area. Uh, Peter says, forget the Boeing 777. This is the all-new Airbus A1140 Tritail. Oh, nice ring to it, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I like the, I like this one. James said, in preparation for another wave, another wave of COVID cases, BA introduced a radical new aircraft to ensure social distancing from the flight crew. <laughs> Each member having their own cockpit. Good point. Yes, I like it. Yes, that's the future. Uh, Nev. Uh, Neil comes up with a good point here. He says, uh, for all passengers going to San Francisco, please board the left aircraft. All other passengers, please board the middle or right aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose he could do three destinations with one aircraft. That's bad idea. I think the point is they're all one aircraft, though. Isn't that isn't that mm. the point? <laughs> uh, John says, actually, John makes a good point. One way to save on landing fees. True, true that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Evan says, imagine getting the window seat, but then finding out that it's an inboard <laughs> over the wing seat. <laughs> Yeah, that's an, yeah, that's an unusual fail. Oh, yes, absolutely. that's like a that's like going on to a cruise and having a, a what, what do you call it? An <laughs> internal cabin, internal yeah, yeah. cabin, man. yeah, yeah, with a window. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, David says uh, it's the new 2022 version of the TriStar. Oh, thank oh, you, David. No, thank you, David. Well done. Well done. <sighs> uh, Stephen says when you overbook a flight, you can call in the super duper we screwed up A980. <laughs> Alan says, as the price of fuel goes up, we need to be smarter about how we manage the load factor on a four-engine jet. Yes, well, I like this. True. I like this next one actually. Nev and uh, Stuart, uh, coming from the catering angle, uh, says introducing the new BA Club sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And that's uh, my favourite. Finishing off, Mark says. BA merger, not quite what we expected. Right, yes, yeah, that's true. <laughs> mm. 
So if you want to be part of the Comedy Central, that is the captionist just for fun. Now, don't forget to check out our Facebook page on Wednesday uh, next week, where I'll be popping up another comedy picture for you to leave your wittiest comments on. Uh, so don't forget, follow us on Facebook. Give us a look on social media. And uh, yeah, all, all for fun. All for fun. It's always good Indeed. to fun. So it's time to hand over the show to uh, our resident military expert, Armando. Matt, if you think, you die. Press the button. All right, where we get all of our aviation news from the BBC.com. Man, I always wanted to say that, right? I feel like a reporter when I say from the BBC.com. Uh, two F 15 jets from RAF Lakenheath make emergency landings. The fighter planes, both from RAF Lakenheath, landed safely back at their base on Monday, according to the U.S. Air Force. A spokesperson said that hydraulic issues caused the emergency landings and that both aircraft landed safely with aircrew on board unharmed. Uh, the Air Force said that the 48th fighter wing had the utmost confidence in its personnel to keep our flyers safe. Uh, In a statement on Tuesday, it confirmed that both planes understood to be flying over Norfolk suffered hydraulic issues. Our air crews understand that equipment malfunctions are a risk that can impact day-to-day missions. According to the air force, the 48th uh, fighter wing has the utmost confidence and the expertise and professionalism of our maintenance personnel to keep our aircraft in the air and our flyers safe. Uh, in November, an F-15 taking part in a fly-pass tribute was also forced to declare an emergency during the event due to hydraulic issues, according to RAF Lakenheath. In a separate incident from taskandpurpose.com, uh, and Matt, there's a Facebook video uh, that was published on this one. An Air Force F-16 pilot made an emergency belly landing look easy. Of course, a belly landing in a fighter jet is anything but easy. This Air Force pilot uh, made a dangerous situation, risking life, limb, and millions of dollars of airplane, uh, look easy last week after bringing his F-16 to a smooth stop on the ground at Aviano Air Base. Uh, That was also without landing gear. Now, this landing, which was captured on video and posted to a popular Facebook page, which I am a member of, the Air Force Airman NCO Senior NCO Group, impressed a former Air Force pilot for both its smooth execution and minimal damage cost to the jet. According to this uh, airport pilot, uh, Greg Montijo, uh, he said, I've seen plenty of videos of gear up landings, and this one was executed very well. He is a former A-10 Warthog pilot who still works closely with a a wide range of Air Force pilots, including F-16 drivers. Um, Now he's a senior leader for a crew resource management training program company. In particular, the uh, the A-10 pilot noted that the pilot was able to bring this F-16 to a smooth stop despite having a bulky electronic countermeasures pod mounted to the center of the aircraft's belly. According to him, he said, considering that the ECM pod was mounted on the center line of the aircraft, that could act like a teeter-totter, and the aircraft could have rolled either left or right. Um, according to Task and Purpose, after inspecting the pictures shared on Facebook... It showed the F the F sixteen after its landing, and uh, apparently the damage wasn't really that much. 
Um, given that the uh, the wear on the on the pictures from the pod and the rear fins, the the pilot was able to keep the wings very level, minimizing any further damage to the wings or any stores on on externally to the aircraft. Now, the public affairs office for Aviano Air Base did not share many details of the incident. It did confirm that the pilot with the 31st Fighter Wing conducted a safe emergency landing um, on the afternoon of March 2nd. They said that the pilot was safe and unharmed uh, and that no other information was available at the time. Now, uh, obviously, these videos have been a hot topic because they're being released officially slash unofficially. Um, but... Uh, landing any jet, any fi- any fast aircraft like this on its belly is not uh, is not easy, as I said, and it's generally an emotional event. But the fact that the pilot didn't have to punch out and eject and landed the aircraft, brought it to a stop, very impressive, um, very smooth. Actually, I will agree with everyone in the chat room that pilot's got skills. So, very well done. It's definitely going to need, and they're going to need a bit of paint underneath there. I think it might may have scratched some of the paint underneath that aircraft on that particular <laughs> that, landing. That one will actually buff out. Oh well, yeah, yeah it will. Yeah, <laughs> bit, a bit of tea cut. Yeah. yeah. Now I, I will say before we move on to the next story, that is still a very expensive mishap because the those electronic countermeasure pods and the stuff that's hanging off the cameras <laughs> and stuff off the wings are almost as expensive as the airplane itself so wow okay <laughs> just one of those little cameras can be you know close to two two and a half million dollars which uh wow. categorizes that as a class a mishap which is at the same level as if somebody had perished in the in the accident so still very expensive don't get me wrong <laughs> well done though anyway carlos going yeah. to your uh, next story yeah one of your favorite airplanes yeah the uh the chinook is actually potizing quite well with yesterday afternoon when I was at work on our old base, where are currently where we're based at the moment, RAF Harem, because we had one of these fly right over the top of us, at quite low level, uh, along with two Apaches from RAF Watersham who were flying ridiculously low yesterday, um, enough to kick up the dust on the old airfield where we're based. But anyway, this story comes to us from theaviationist.com and Royal Air Force Chinook. Helicopter airlifts massive new radar on top of the Gibraltar rock. So take a look at these amazing shots of a Chinook helicopter delivering a massive new radar to the top of the rock. On the 2nd of March 2022, an RAF Chinook helicopter carried out a pretty particular mission when it delivered a new radar to the top of the Gibraltar rock. The ATC radar of RAF Gibraltar Airfield, which serves also as the commercial airport of the overseas or the British overseas territory, is located at the top of the iconic rock. The radar needed to be replaced, a task that could not be completed by road as the roads to the top of the rock are too narrow for ground transportation. So for this reason, the Royal Air Force Chinook helicopter registration Zulu Alpha 680 was flown from the UK via Portugal and then undertook the lift of the massive radar, a 11.8 metre structure weighing over 8,000 kilos to the summit site of the former rock gun battery. The aviationist contributor David Parody took these stunning photos of the Chinook helicopter at work during the radar lift operation at the summit of the rock. According to Aquila Air Traffic Management Services that delivered the new radar to serve the Royal Air Force Gibraltar, uh, the new radar was transported as an underslung load by the Chinook in four parts. Uh, the radar's rotational turning gear, 
two large antennae and the horn and the transmit and receive section of the antenna were each lifted in four separate journeys. Also flown to the top of the rock was a new navigational beacon. A temporary helicopter landing platform was built at the rock ba- uh, gun battery, especially for the operation. The new platform allowed the helicopters to land the loads above the rough and protected ground on the nature reserve that is known for the apes that populate the rock and are a major tourist attraction. The lift was originally scheduled for November the 21st last year, but the operation had to be postponed due to bad weather and rescheduled. The upgraded RAF Gibraltar's air traffic management system is part of an MOD-wide £1.5 billion investment to air traffic management systems known as Programme Marshall. The programme includes a £400 million investment in advanced surveillance radars and a wide range of sophisticated equipment such as tower systems, new surveillance and navigational aids and radios with the purpose to ensure increased reliability for aircraft traffic management, improved safety and an estimated savings of £317 million for the MOD over the course of the 22-year partnership with Aquila to support the new equipment. So just a side note of interest, then the Royal Air Force Museum of Cosford is also thrilled to announce the acquisition of the legendary Royal Air Force Chinook HC6 Alpha Bravo, no, or Alpha um, Bravo November helicopter. The newest addition to the museum's collection has a distinguished career within the Royal Air Force. It was one of the original 30 Chinooks ordered by the Royal Air Force in 1978 and has been in service ever since, serving in every major conflict over the last 40 years. As a veteran of the Falklands, Iraq, Afghanistan, Bravo November was seen uh, was has seen four of its pilots awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross for actions whilst at the controls of the aircraft. It's definitely one of those aircraft that you can't miss, Armando, when it's um, flying towards you. You know, it's got a very distinctive noise. Luckily, it's just us, and nobody's listening to this. But don't tell any Chinook pilots. I'm secretly a huge fan of the Chinook. <laughs> I don't, you know, other than the Sky Crane, I don't, man, what a cool, what a cool helicopter that can do so many things, right? I mean, we've seen it land on water, in water. <laughs> they can do airdrop. They can land the back wheels on top of a, a building that's only, you know, five meters by five meters and dump some some. Troops out the back, and as this guy in the in the chat room, uh, Neville Bounds, said, yeah, this probably takes a little bit of skill with the unpredictable winds at Gibraltar um, to, to have. <laughs> you know, we were just talking about very expensive things hanging underneath aircraft. Probably the entire air traffic control system for the next generation of Gibraltar sitting underneath a Chinook on top of Ow. a rock in unpredictable winds. They probably picked the... Probably one of the the more high time pilots in the in the squadron. Cool picture, so yeah. Disturbs. Despite what Miles High says in the chat room, yes, yeah, Sturman says no bad words about Chinooks or Ospreys in this chat room. Indeed. Yeah, and <laughs> and uh, and I, I threw that extra little nugget in there. If you were at Cosford, uh, RAF Cosford, the you know Jonathan Warmer Warner says that the. Uh, Bravo November is the most famous Chinook in the RAF. So he's not seen it, so he needs to get to Cosford. Now you'll get a chance. Indeed, uh, and uh, I, I'm frantically trying to. We've been uh, we've been sent a, a picture actually, and um, 
uh, Jonathan Warner, as you might expect, is saying that it's uh, one heck of a downdraft, which I, I, I don't think is uh, inaccurate, is it? It's uh, oh, it's not. It's not arriving in time. It's not working, is it? Oh, honestly, oh. he sent me a picture. Oh no, it's there. Sorry, hang on. It's just being rubbish. Don't mind. I only used a really bad word. Then there you go. One heck of a downdraft, apparently. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Have you, have you have you sort of had uh, have you been anywhere near one like like proper close up in flight, um, Armando? Uh, yeah, I got to ride in a Chinook a couple times, going back and forth to uh, between Balad Air Base and and Baghdad, and out in Tikrit. So there was a there was an organization I don't know if it was official or not official called Chisholm Air, and they were basically uh, army Chinooks and Blackhawks that were a little airline between all of the locations. Uh, in, in Iraq during combat, this was during the height of the the the, the war there, the conflict. Sorry, the third war there. Um, and uh, I got to ride in the back a couple times of a Chinook, and it mechanical, so geary, and it was dirty, and it was loud. It was oh my gosh, it was it was so cool. Commando, um, if you're still there, uh, you've got this next story about the. Uh, SU-57. Okay, I brought the levels down a little bit. This, that's uh, better. Yeah, that's lovely. This is actually a little bit of a two-part story. This is a couple firsts that we're seeing. Now, the first part of this, thank goodness we have 45 mil- minutes for military. <laughs> um, <laughs> Look at Nev, honestly. Nev. Somebody call the police because he just fell yeah. out of his chair. Okay, can you can you bring it up again? Sorry, Armando. We've, it's, it's something very weird going on at the moment. Okay, we'll we'll stick to this level right now. A little bit more, uh, please. Okay, coming up. How about there? How about there? We'll give that a go. Yeah, we'll give that a go. <laughs> All right. From EurasianTimes.com. Uh, a couple of people in the chat room have been looking forward to this. This is uh, analysis that the first combat deployment of the Russian Su-57 stealth fighter has been spotted over northern Ukraine. Uh, right before these crucial peace talks. Um, Turkey, uh, if you've been following the news, has been preparing to broker peace talks between Moscow and Kiev. Uh, A video during the rounds on social media reportedly shows the most advanced stealth aircraft, the Su-57, flying over the northern region of Ukraine. Foreign ministers of Ukraine and Russia arrived in Turkey on March 10th for a face-to-face meeting. First time the countries have met since the war began a couple weeks ago. Um, now, this uh, fifth-generation Su-57 felon, felon is a heavyweight fighter. There's speculation that Russia's southern military district deployed the jet to Ukraine. According to local media reports, a fighter similar to this Su-57 was spotted in the Zitomir region of Ukraine hours before the two foreign ministers arrived in Turkey. This video was reportedly filmed in the Berdichev area of Zitomir. Uh, it purportedly shows the fighter aircraft carrying out a strike, presumably targeting the Berdichev bridge over the Tet- Tetrov River. Uh, local residents claimed that the aircraft had made an unusual sound and looked very familiar, uh, sorry, very similar to that fifth generation Su-57 in the terms of its design. Now, the Russian Ministry of Defense has not officially announced the use of this combat aircraft. If it is true, this would be the first instance of a Russian stealth fighter uh, being deployed to an actual combat mission. 2018-2019, a prototype of the aircraft was sent to uh, Kemimim, 
Kemaimim Air Base in Syria. During one of these trials, the Su-57 fired a cruise missile uh, and performed a total of 10 flights. Military analysts, however, believe that the Russian aerial combat in Ukraine mostly involves uh, Su-35s instead of Su-57s. The aircraft, as you saw in the pictures there, is a single-seat, twin-engine, multi-role fighter developed by Sukhoi, uh, designed for aerial combat as well as a ground and maritime uh, strike role. It is intended to be the successor of uh, earlier generation MiG-29s and Su-27s of the Russian military. Now, the radar the radar cross-section of this Su-57 is supposed to be 30 times smaller than that of the Su-27, and, of course, reducing the uh, RCS or the radar cross-section, um, uh, the, the features towards the front half of the aircraft um, are more important to the Russians as opposed to the American designs like F-22s, F-35s, which are, are a little bit different um, to reduce their radar cross-section. Let's see. According to the Russian Aerospace Forces, the first Su-57 entered service in December 2020. Total of four aircraft have been produced so far, out of which the first one crashed in 2019. I think we actually talked about that on the show. Um, and the third, the second, third, and fourth aircraft were delivered during the last quarter of 2021. So according to analysts, the Su-57 fleet consists of only three aircraft, excluding the prototypes. We'll see if this actually turns out to be the first deployment of this. Um let me double check the chat room here real quick before. According to Wikipedia, there's been 14 of these built. Yeah. That's Wikipedia for you, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, yeah. like 50% accurate, something like that? Mm-hmm. It does say as of 2021, 50, uh, 14 built, 10 of them test a test aircraft. Yeah, exactly. The prototypes. So, yeah. I think only four, well, three now because the first one crashed, but. I, I like Sturman's comment in the chat room. Seeing an F-15 strung up by metal wires at Duxford uh, makes him fear ever seeing a fighter jet coming at him in combat. Mm. It is amazing technology, but it is pretty scary. Uh, and Jonathan Warner, yeah, they're small until you get up close to them. Anyway, so talking about first, bringing it back to the UK, the aviationist.com this week is reporting that RAF F-35B Lightnings have started patrolling NATO airspace over Poland and Romania. Uh, the F-35Bs have joined the Enhanced Vigilance Activity, which is a, a NATO-led mission launched as a consequence of the Ukrainian crisis. These F-35s are of the or, uh, RAF's 617 squadron from RAF Marum have started flying armed patrols as part of a pre-planned enhanced vigilance activity. Um, The fifth-generation fighter joined RAF Typhoons uh, from RAF Coningsby in Lincolnshire and RAF Akrotiri in Cyprus, and the rest of the NATO assets that have been dispatched to the region following this Russian invasion of Ukraine. These two F-35Bs have uh, flown their first mission over Eastern Europe on March 3rd, according to the RAF's uh, public website. They were supported by the RAF Voyager air-to-air refueling aircraft from Bryce Norton. According to a station commander at RAF Marum, uh, they said that the F-35 is an incredibly capable and versatile aircraft operating along typhoons to maintain the integrity of the European airspace and contribute to the NATO mission. Fifth-generation fighter is a world-beating aircraft that can simon- 
simultaneously provide information warfare, intelligence gathering, and air-to-air missions, as we know, very capable aircraft. So, man, it, I feel like we've been doing this show long enough now that we've watched the evolution of the UK and the RAF from signing up to get these, getting these aircraft to the first deliveries that went across the ocean. I remember reporting on them on this show when they got to Marum, and here we are. You know, now we're we're seeing them employed in in combat. So it's only fifty miles away from me and uh, Matt. Oh, is it RAF Marum? Yeah, it's up um, up near nice. Diana Market. Yeah, yeah. It's Marum is. I mean, flying distance. It was right around the corner from Lakenheath and Mildenhall. So for us. We were always trying to stay out of each other's way because we're all fighting for the fir- the same the same airspace. Jonathan Warner thinks the F thirty five is a really ugly looking aircraft. Yeah, well, it's not supposed to be pretty, is it? <laughs> War is not pretty. It's especially not pretty when it's diving down at you with missiles and cannons coming at you. Mm. But then again. The A-10 is not supposed to be pretty, and I love it. I think it's one of the most beautiful aircraft. I'll agree with you on that one. Is definitely, definitely Armando. Awesome-looking piece of kit, that is. Yeah. yeah. Man, should I just make up more military stories? We've got plenty of time. <laughs> <laughs> no, look at Nev, any, any BA updates from you, Nev? Um, <clears throat> there is a rumor about a new route, or a route that um, might come back. Um, but it is only a rumour, and I don't even know if it's from BA or somebody else. But I can't, I'm can't. i not even allowed to talk about it, so I can't even oh. give you an exclusive there. Mm. But I just heard a rumour about a, a UK route that was being reinstated at some point. Oh. Perhaps more on that next week. Well, quite. We could, we could do some more routes from our local airport, couldn't we, Matt? Yeah, or, or at least that, make the existing nice. ones affordable. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's the other option. Uh, <laughs> Uh, actually, how, how are those flights looking for uh, for your trip back, uh, Armando? Because you're flying with that new uh, low-cost transatlantic oh, I, carrier. I already booked them. I, I booked mm. them a month ago, I think, and it was under 500 pounds uh, round trip. So Return. Wow. wow. Yeah, yeah, it was. Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, and we were looking at, even the majors, the the legacy carriers going overseas right now are pretty affordable if you kind of pick, you know, we were talking about those um, ghost cities, you know, kind of ghost tickets where you book to a smaller city, but you just hop off the airplane at the hub. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty, pretty affordable. That being said, we're trying to get Matt over here, started <laughs> to plan his vacation over here too. <laughs> yes, do it. Not not anytime soon, it. unfortunately. I, I'm I'm very desperate to visit Dubai first. That's that's the the big one on the hit list for me. But yeah, yes, I was just like you know, short of winning the lottery, I think at the moment that's not a not something I like we can do each week. I, I know, me too, week. me too. I keep trying. You know, turning this <laughs> office into a complete flight deck is you know is on is costing cards. you a fortune. Yes, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's costing <laughs> absolutely. Fortune, yeah. Yes, and possibly one marriage, but we'll gloss over that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Actually, as a quick update as well. Uh, quick update as well. This this has annoyed me slightly this week because they've not yet done the version for X plane. They've done it. For Microsoft Flight Sim, but InScene have have released this week the update for um, uh, London Heathrow Airport. 
So if you've got Microsoft Flight Simulator, the, the new version, uh, if you go on InScene and you go on their website, there's actually a release for the an updated, completely oh, remodeled wow. London Heathrow. I've seen the screenshots and the YouTube video that those guys have put on there this week of it, and it is phenomenal. It, the detail is ridiculous, right down to baggage carts going around and the advertising hoardings, and even Terminal 5 looks exactly like Terminal 5 does um, outside, it's amazing what they've done to it, and it's 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 only I think it's I think it's about eighteen quid, twenty quid for the, oh, for wow. the download. But it's it's quite a hefty download. It's about ten gig once installed, so it's quite a big. Um, Can you a big see Jerry add-on. from Big Jet TV in his transit? <laughs> <laughs> no, they they haven't added that bit on Nev, oh, right. but uh, but yeah, it's it's a really good. I hope that the guys will release it soon for um, for X Plane Eleven, but uh, we'll wait to see. But I'm hoping to do a bit of bit of simming this week because if you remember that uh, the the guys were asking last one last week's show whether whether I could uh, operate an aircraft and land under the influence of. Um, yeah, alcohol, I, I, do you remember? I, yeah, yeah, no, I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> have you not done that yet? Uh, no, no, I, I was going to yeah. attempt to do that this weekend. R- Richard Adams is saying, "Can you see Adam in the tower if you zoom in really close?" Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. But what's funny about that is, uh, I came home a couple of days after the girls from from London, and uh, two things: one that Matt, uh, or sorry, that Nev uh, mentioned there. When I was t- I, the night before departure, I just always think it's easier to get down to Heathrow. But I did see the Big Jet TV uh, transit van in the parking lot, oh. the Garden Inn, uh, over by Terminal Five. That's where I stayed. And then um, when I left, our I was on an American Airlines triple seven two hundred, and it was parked in stand like six fifteen something like that, which is right under the tower, and. It was, I don't know why we took a bus to this airplane, and I just thought it was the coolest thing because it, we were literally right next to the tower at Heathrow. I snapped a picture of the American Airlines logo and the flight deck with the tower in the background, and immediately sent it to Adam and said, "I see you." <laughs> <laughs> As you do, yeah, oh. love it. Yeah, this no, is- actually, uh, at, at Neil Landmorn's put something in the in the chat room if you can see that, Matt. No, short answer is is no. Oh, uh, yeah, he's put in there, Adam, Adam stuck in the lift outside. Oh, yes. That's harking, <laughs> harking back to... Um, yeah, 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 absolutely. Oh, when was it? Yeah, that was that, that event. Was it BA30? BA38. 38. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Yeah. That's it, yeah, yeah. BA38. Yeah. Well, that was that was quite quite the uh, quite the event, wasn't it? <laughs> that was quite the event, actually, yeah. Very true, very true. Indeed. Okay. But, uh, should we start to wrap up? Yeah, and, I think uh, so. Yeah. Sh- uh, right. Armando, this week, I think we'll leave it to you to do social media links. Oh, that's great. I don't have them up. Because, okay. Uh, how about <laughs> we pass off to Nev? <laughs> I can do that if you want. <laughs> so, if you are on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, which I'm sure most people are, search those platforms for Plain Talking UK. Our WhatsApp number is plus 44-757-224-9166. That's plus 44-757-224-9166. You can email the show, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. And our website is www.plaintalkinguk.com. 
You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, of course, and you'll get notifications when we go live. And you can help shape the conversation of the show by joining us in the chat room, as many people have done. So just go to YouTube.com, search for Plain Talking UK. Uh, also on the website, there is an Amazon link, which you can do your shopping through if you use Amazon. Uh, they pay us a small referral fee for doing that. And that all helps to oil the technical business that goes on behind the scenes. You can also become a Patreon as well. Again, have a look on the website for details about how to do that. Yes, and uh, we look forward to uh, to hearing from you as well, uh, sending feedback, because we'd love to hear some feedback from you if you're listening to the show. Audio feedback's good. We can uh, leave audio feedback via the old WhatsApp number, can't they, Matt, as well? Certainly can, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great to uh, to hear from you. So we've got a few minutes left of the show. Quick round, Robin, what's going on next week? Nev, what's going on in the world of Nev? Uh, no flying, but I shall be heading east across to Bury St Edmunds and beyond <laughs> to the Bungie region. <gasps> oh, dear. Dun, dun, dun. That's, on, That's very worrying for you. Wednesday. Uh, Indeed. I'm looking forward to seeing you two fellas. And yeah. picking up any cables that I may Bury have St. left um, previously um, on the 400 show. A uh, bit of an opportunity for some... Uh, food and drink maybe absolutely at our favorite restaurant more more yes. importantly yes. absolutely very exciting. Um, i might bring my camera and fluffy mic with me as perhaps we could uh, do oh. a few couple of location we could uh, we could try and make bungie look really stuff. nice good luck with that well uh, <laughs> no the, the uh, was it they say uh, the the uh, impossible we can do straight away but miracles take a little longer. take a little time fair enough that's yeah. the harsh but fair harsh but fair uh, and uh <laughs> Armando, what's uh, going on in the world of Armando next um, week? Not a whole lot. I mean, we like to pack everything into short time periods, so we're actually moving house as well. <gasps> what? Yeah, we, uh, we're getting a new house down towards Charlotte. Currently, we're up on Lake Norman, and we're moving a little bit closer to the city. So now comes everything associated with that, starting to pack this house. Got to pack the studio, which is the smallest part. No, I'm just kidding. Um but yeah, we got to pack this house up, and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be um, heading out to. Uh, That's crazy! Yeah. Wow, That's absolutely crazy. I, w- I would say I'd lend you a van, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not that's not going to work. Uh, <laughs> not, it's not going to work. You can, put it, you can put it on a container ship, and it should be here by the time that I'm ready to move out of that house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true that. True that. So, Mr. Smith, what's going on in the world of Smith next week? Hel- no, helping customers, I expect. Uh, quite busy on Friday during the day, um, but other than that. Um, not a lot, you got really. a, aren't you doing one of those live broadcasts again? I from, am, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah. what's going on on the Friday. So I, I'm, uh, uh, yes. I shall be assisting Park Radio with an, a, a live outside OB. broadcast if it comes back. Right, I think it's back now. We don't know quite what's going on with YouTube today. Sorry about that, everyone. It's being a bit rubbish. Um, so. What's going on in the world of Matt next week? Then? Not a lot, really. Uh, quite a quiet week in the main. I say, very much looking forward to Wednesday and catching up with Nev, of course. Uh, there's also, um, uh, I'm sort of involved in a live outside broadcast for the radio station that I'm involved in, uh, which is uh, it's only their second one ever. Uh, the first one was also done by me. so uh, <laughs> And it went marvellously. And it did go very well, absolutely. Yeah. So, yes, Carlos, I need to borrow your microphone, please, again, if I may. Uh, <laughs> this one, yeah, 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 yeah. 
You've got a studio full of microphones. Yes, I know, but it's, you know, you know how good the ATRs are in and outside. Honestly, in that, honestly. I don't know. Yes, I know. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, but other well, than that, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Uh, Excellent. Indeed. Uh, next week, what well, I'd be, oh, well, I'll, I thought just for a change next week, I'll um, drive up and down the A143. Oh, you're very good at that. Yeah. Between Beckles and this. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Very good. Yeah. Ferrying medical parts around. Very good. Yeah, it's all good fun. It's all good fun. But one of the good things we are looking forward to next week as well is all the activity here in and around the, uh, around the, at the field. Because as I said earlier, there has been a huge amount of activity around our, our site over the last week with Apaches and Ospreys, and also C-130Js as well flying around. Gosh. It's got quite exciting. And they don't half fly bleeding low, I tell you. Yeah, but they do. Honestly. And I've never got my blooming camera with me. I need to start taking my camera into work, my decent camera. (laughs) Anyway. Right, that is where we are going to bring... Uh, apparently, it's, it's uh, Alex's fault, by the way. The stream dropped just as he was uh, putting the kettle on. Oh, yeah. Alex. Yeah. He, 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 <laughs> the national grid went down. Yeah, indeed. So uh, that is where we're going Hang to bring on. episode got... 402 to a close. Oh, <laughs> that's all right. If John, that's all right. John has sent me a very amusing thing, but I can't... I, yeah, I can't get it. Anyway, carry on. Sorry, ignore me. Anyway, that was totally irrelevant. I'm sorry. I got Anyway, don't forget the I, I thought it was next, important. It turned out not to be. Sorry. Next Friday for the show, episode 403, next, fr- uh, next Friday. Uh, so thanks to everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room this evening. Big thanks to all the family members in there. And a big thanks as well to everyone who downloads the show each week as an audio podcast, because we really do appreciate that. And if you do, if you download it through iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, there are little review comment sections on there where you can leave us little comments as well, which we love as well, uh, for five-star reviews, especially on iTunes. Uh, but that's it from me, Carlos, here in, the, in my home studio, from Matt over in the PTUK studios, from Nev in his studio in Buckinghamshire and from Armando in his glorious studio over in Charlotte. Take care, everyone. Have a fantastic weekend and we'll see you next Friday. Goodbye, everyone. Bye.